The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com t-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. The band Triumph was one of the greatest live rock bands in the 80s, featuring Rick Emmett, Gil Moore, and Mike Levine, with Huge hits like Fight the Good Fight, Lay It on the Line, and Magic Power. They're one of the first to incorporate sophisticated laser, pyrotechnics, and moving light rigs that were all computer-controlled. They're in the Canadian Music Hall of Fame, and now there's the Triumph Rock and Roll Machine documentary. In Canada, I've got former Triumph lead singer Rick Emmett on the line right now. Thank you so much for joining me, and congratulations on the documentary. Man, it, it's a, a long time coming for big fans like myself. Well, uh, I appreciate that. Yes, it, it has been a you know, you can imagine how long it's been at this end. For me, like, you know, we sat down and did these interviews even before COVID was, you know. So, I mean, it's been a long time. And I, and I appreciate the fact that the American audience has been, because on my website and stuff and on the Internet, people are going like, okay, yeah, you can watch it in Canada, you can watch it in <laughs> Luxembourg, but I can't watch it, you know, in in. You know, where are you guys? Las Vegas? Like, you know, come on. Right. Las Vegas, this is the capital of the world, is it not? Come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have so. a friend I have a friend in Canada who said, uh, yeah, I watched it already. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And the thing, too, is, uh, you know, by this time here in, in Canada, people have watched it a dozen times. You yes. Know, and and uh, because the Canadian streaming thing, they're hooked up to Bell Media, so it's Crave TV here, and they're running it like, uh, you know, they're they're using it to fill CanCon requirements and running it two or three times a day and six times on weekends. Rick, I was lucky enough to see you guys in the 80s, and your shows were legendary, not just because the music and the musicianship was so great, but the cutting-edge light shows were just unbelievable. Was that something that you made it a point to do because you wanted to set yourself apart from other bands? Absolutely, yes. And the documentary makes that pretty clear. And And... That was Gil. That was all Gil. Like, right from the get-go, like, he kind of ran a, a, a PA business out of his garage when he was a teenager, you know. So the whole thing of sound and lights and, and production, that was kind of Gil's thing. He, and that's what he envisioned Triumph to be right from the get-go, that it would be this band that would declare itself on a level that, that you know, other bands just didn't. And... um and then it was like we were always playing within the band. We were always playing catch up. Uh, how do you, you know, make music to, to fill this this incredible kind of vision that he had for for what the band was going to be live? And um, the, the, here's a, a really interesting thing, though, uh, you know, about the documentary and about the career of the band in general and stuff. What, you know, one of the big moments in the highlight in the documentary that they show is, is this performance that we did at the, at the Oz Festival in 1983. Yeah. And we played in the middle of the afternoon, and there were no lights, and there was no, you know, special effects. It was not, it was the band bare, you know, bare naked, kind of. Right. You know, metaphorically speaking. And it was kind of one of the highlights of the band's career. And I used to tell the other guys, you know, we can you can do things where you can bring it dynamically down to a pin drop. You can make this kind of moment happen musically. You have to trust in it, and they never liked to do that. <laughs> like Gil was not the kind of guy that wanted to trust 
letting the energy drop. And I would say, no, no, you can let this happen. You won't lose the flow. You won't lose energy because musically you'll have people, you know, um, hooked in. But, uh, yeah, you know, so there were tensions that existed within the band even, you know, right from the get-go. It's a story that uh, many bands go through, right, where you've got well, three guys and, and you've got some creative differences. You did all kinds of huge festivals like the S Festival, the World Series of Rock, Texas Jam, just to name a few. And when did it get to the point, Rick, where you said, I just can't do this anymore. I want to do stuff on my own. Well, I mean... You know, I'm, I'm writing my own memoir. First of all, let me say this. We're, we're talking because we're going to promote the documentary. Right. And the documentary is a, is a great story. And, but it is a story. It's, it's one story told from, you know, banger films and, and, and uh, uh, essentially sort of Gilmore's perspective. And that's, it's, it's a great story, you know. But I'm writing my own memoir so that um, people can get uh, an insight into it you know, from a different perspective. And, you know, the question that you've asked me is one where in my memoir, I kind of go, yeah, when, when did that actually start? I go, well, you know, in 1983, the other guys decided they wanted to have a lawsuit against uh, RCA to try and get out of the contract because they wanted to try and vault up to the level of being a band that would, you know, like and sticks and these guys that were going, you know, multi-platinum, they they wanted a, 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 a label that would believe in that, and MCA came along and said, "Okay, well, you know, we're willing to ante up three million bucks in order to get your contract, but you know, we're going to have certain expectations if we've paid that much to get you, um, and you're going to have to deliver, you know, commercially." So I was not uh, in favor of that uh, RCA lawsuit. I voted against it, but I lost the vote. Right. And so if you track that stuff through the history of the band. There were moments, 83, 84, 85, and I was becoming sort of increasingly unhappy. But in a you know, parallel line to this, I, I was married. I was having kids. You know, I, I had, by 87, I had uh, three kids and another one on the way. And um, I didn't want to have to be committing to a band that was, it ate up way too much of my life. There was... Yep touring and album production and marketing and promotion and, you know, all of the kinds of things that you go, well, hang on for a second. I got, I got a kid going to T-ball tonight. You yeah. know, uh, oh, there's a parent-teacher night on Wednesday. <laughs> I can't be flying to Tulsa, you know. So the, um, those things happen to every band, a successful band, and um, you either figure out ways to work around it or the bands break up, you know. And in the end, I had to give my notice to the band because there was just too much stuff on too many levels uh, that, that that I could continue. But, you know, here we are. I'm in my retirement now, and <laughs> yeah. documentaries and tribute albums, and you go, well, okay. It's a heck of a story, really, and you have so many uh, albums. I know that Roundhill has done digital reissues, and everybody's listening to vinyl again, Rick, so... Are there vinyl releases of the stuff you guys did? Well, Triumph certainly. That, I think that's uh, there's been box sets and things, and yeah. I think it's contemplated uh, uh, for my own personal stuff. I, I'm I don't think so. Although 
I can mention this uh, in passing quickly. Uh, I, I got the rights that when I left Triumph in 88, I made three albums for Duke Street Records in Canada that were out on, on Universal. And I got the rights for those masters back. And so there's been some conversations now about putting out some vinyl stuff of that period of my life. So from like 89 to about 95, yeah. uh, I, I got those rights back. Uh, Round Hill purchased all the rest of my catalog that I did from... Uh, I would say 96 on and uh, I don't know if they intend to do vinyl on that or not uh, it's out of my hands uh, I can tell you this I don't stop being creative just because I kind of decided to not go on the road anymore like uh, so I, I continue to write and there's downloads off my site of, of new material and I've got uh, you know 10 new songs sort of in the can that I'm ready to try and turn into recordings of one type or another. And I would imagine, because there has been this resurgence of vinyl, that there may be more vinyl on the horizon for me, just because it, it provides a different kind of uh, of an integrity of, of reaching uh, somebody that's a consumer of music than just a download, you know. Um, but I don't really think of it much as a business anymore. I think of it more as a... It's my it's my hobby. <laughs> you've been so prolific, like you say, you're writing to this day. You've been a college teacher. You've got the memoir that you're working on, poetry, folk music. Go, uh, you know, everybody go to uh, Rick's website because you can find out a lot more about that. But uh, the documentary will have much more too. Wish we had more time. I'm a big fan. Loved seeing you guys perform live, and I'm gonna love seeing Triumph Rock and Roll Machine streaming worldwide as of today. It's gonna be great, Rick. We appreciate it as fans. Oh, thank you, Jim. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a it's a relief for me that finally. You know, this Nugs.net thing has, has occurred so that uh, at least an American audience can find their way to it for the month of May, you know, and, and uh, I go, okay, you know, this is the start of something, you know, it, uh, and I'm not sure where it will lead, but it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun and it's exciting, and um, I, I think it's going to be a, a nice relief for, for American fans to finally get a chance to see this documentary. That's right. And, you know, Rick, I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I'm practically a Canadian, you know, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a cheesehead, buddy. Come <laughs> yeah, on. That's right. Great talking to you. It's been an honor. Thanks so much, Rick. Oh, thanks, Jim. He's just an all-around nice guy, isn't he? And Rick says he's retired, but he's one of those retired guys who always has about six different projects going at the same time. That does it for this episode of the Fake Show Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Tofty, and I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Fake Show.com.